The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. How is your work life going? Business? Home? Social? How about your health? Could you make some changes? Of course you could, but how and where to start? This is Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. In this program, we'll help you identify and make the changes in your life that need to be made, and by doing so, increase your potential for success. And now, here's your host, Hemda Mizrahi. Welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi. Today is the first of a three-episode series that focuses on surrogacy as a family-building option. During the next few weeks, we'll be sharing perspectives on the surrogacy process from both surrogacy experts and former clients. Surrogacy laws vary both across and within countries, and there's no standardized reporting of statistics. While both the tracking and availability of global stats to the public has been limited, particularly before 2008, experts estimate that a thousand or more births through surrogacy occur in the U.S. alone every year. Today's episode will zoom in on the surrogacy process from screening and matching intended parents and surrogates to engaging supports that alleviate your anxieties and frustrations through each stage. And finally, developing the relationship between the carrier and the intended parent. We'll be exploring the process through the lens of Jen Rackman. Jen offers multiple perspectives into the experience of surrogacy. Ovarian cancer, diagnosed when she was 26, required her to explore other parenting options. Her now four-year-old son was born via surrogate. Jen was so moved by this experience that she became an outreach coordinator for Circle Surrogacy, one of the largest surrogacy agencies in the world. Through this role, Jen works closely with intended parents to guide and support them through the surrogacy process. She joins me in person in New York City. Jen, I'm so honored to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So we really want to look at this process from both the lens of the surrogate and the lens of the intended parent. And I know that you have underscored the many different angles there are and issues that you experience just with the screening and the matching process. And I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, so I think when an intended parent comes into surrogacy, one of the biggest question marks is who is the woman that I'm going to entrust with the amazing task of carrying my child for me? And there's a lot of fear and worries about, am I going to be able to connect with this person? Who is this woman? Where is she coming from? Where does she live? What is her lifestyle like? And Our job is to really try to make them feel as comfortable as possible going into it, that it it is a possibility to develop a connection with someone that is an unknown to you and know that you can have that connection with her. Um, So our job is really to to obtain and find and screen the surrogates so that when we talk to our IPs about them, that they can feel comfort in knowing that we've taken a lot of the steps to alleviate what their biggest fears are. So the screening process, a surrogate coming into the program goes through quite a bit to get approved to be a surrogate. And that is a several step process that involves a medical history review. It involves a psychological screening, uh, interview with a social worker, um, a financial and criminal background check. There's quite a bit that she has to go through. In addition to eventually getting to the point where once she's approved, she gets a medically screened to go into the IVF process. So there's quite a bit that's entailed to screen a surrogate so that she can be approved to be matched with our intended parents. So when we meet with the intended parents, we give them a rundown of of all these steps that they've been through and then talk to them about what their own 
wants and desires and ideas about who this woman is and how can we bring them together with the right person. Jen, looking at this from the lens of the surrogate, focusing on the surrogate, what would you say from Circle, and of course there's going to be variants from one surrogacy agency to another, what would Circle look at in terms of what they would consider to be a great profile for a surrogate? A woman who has had healthy pregnancies, um, that's a mandatory criteria that she has to have been pregnant before, has her own children. So that that's primary in that she's been had that physically capable of carrying a healthy pregnancy. And secondary is certainly is she emotionally fit and aware of what this entails to go into this process and be able to give such a gift and feel comfortable doing so. So we're looking at her emotional, not only her physical capabilities, but her emotional capabilities as well. You have the health factor then making sure that the surrogate can carry the child or maybe in some cases more than one child. At times, yes. (laughs) And also looking at the emotional and psychological health of the person. Correct. And in addition, and her support system, looking and make sure that she has supports in place and whether that's her spouse, her partner, a family member, a friend, we really talk to her a great deal about who is in her support network. We even have our social worker interview them because we want to make sure her that she has the support she needs going into this process. That's an interesting angle. Yes. Looking at it from the lens of the surrogate, and we may have folks listening today who are exploring this for themselves, right? Not just intended parents, but actual people who might be interested in becoming surrogates. Yes. Uh, I think whenever we talk to people, there, we, we often get uh, referrals and people, just word of mouth, people that are um, learn about it, hearing about it from other people's uh, experiences, and therefore they decide to sign up and, as a surrogate. Is there anything that you would add in terms of the screening process regarding the surrogate? You know, it's, it's a really uh, it's a really rigorous screen they have to go through, and uh, it takes a lot of time and, and effort, and they have to really feel committed to this being something that they want and that they feel is right for them. And, um, you know, the, the other piece of it is, you know, making sure that they um, – not only understand emotionally what it means to go into it, but that they feel comfortable. Our perspective is that they have to feel comfortable connecting with the intended parents as well, and that they feel that going into this, that they can have that reciprocal relationship. I'd love to hear more about that. So maybe if we go to the screening process when it comes to an intended parent, that would be helpful. And then we can talk more about the matching aspect. Great. Uh, yes. Yeah, so when our intended parents, their their first step is to have a, a, a consultation with our team. And that allows us to get to know where they're coming from, what's their story, uh, whether it's a heterosexual couple that has had perhaps a series of loss or a medical concern that lends itself to needing a surrogate or a same-sex couple or individual who, or gay individual who uh, needs to have a carrier, carry for them to become a parent. Um, we're looking at what's their story and, and why is this something that they feel is uh, the best family building option for them at this time. And then, so we're doing our level of assessment to kind of understand where they're coming from and what they're bringing into this process. And, help them get educated about what it means to to have a child in this in this manner. So that's our first step is a, a consultation. It's about two to three hours where you really get an extensive overview of what a surrogacy journey looks like. You meet with a social worker such as myself and an attorney and go through soup to nuts what the, the overall process looks like. During the screening process, what are some of the common questions or concerns that intended parents have? Um will she want to keep my baby um, is a, a big fear. You know, will, will there be, how do I know she won't want to keep it? Has she, have you ever had a surrogate want to keep a child? And the, and the answer to that is no. Uh, in Circle's history, we have never had a carrier want to keep the child. I think it's a, a, a misconception about what their motivations are or what, uh, that they're not emotionally ready to have uh, the separation at the end of the pregnancy. Um, so the, so the, the 
there's a lot of uh, questions that they come in with and other ones are around, are they just motivated by finances? Um, are they just doing it for the money? And then my response to that is always, there has to be another reason. I mean, the money is certainly a factor because it's, you know, they should obtain compensation for all the efforts they're putting in. It's at least a year of their time and a lot to put their bodies through and risks. So yes, money is a factor. However, there has to be an underlying altruistic uh, connection to wanting to help somebody become a parent. So it seems like a lot of it has to do really with comfort level and trust in the motivation of the surrogate and also the whole journey. Yes. Trust. We talk a lot in in our initial consultation. We talk a lot about how trust plays a huge part and, and getting to know, you know, how trusting every individual coming into this has their own way of perceiving relationships, new relationships, forming new relationships and talking about how do they, how do they see themselves and trusting and being able to know that, you know, your surrogate is not going to be sitting next to you nine months and you can watch her and observe her and, and monitor her. That's not how this works. So you have to be comfortable with knowing she can be across the country um, carrying your child and you still have to be able to sleep at night and know that she's doing a, she's doing the right thing by you and your child. What about on the part of the surrogate? Because it does help even listening right now. If you're an intended parent, it does help to really look to the lens of the surrogate as well. What would be some of the concerns that the surrogate might come to you with during the screening process? Questioning, you know, how she has, you know, her own set of expectations coming in, in terms of who she wants to connect with, who does she want to help? You know, who does, uh, does she want to work with a heterosexual couple who's come in? And, and, and some surrogates might say that, that that might be challenging because they understand they're coming from a history of loss and, and potentially sadness due to the, either whether it's infertility or, or medical concern. And surrogates might have concerns about what that will mean to, to work with an intended parent coming with that history. And, and on the opposite end, you have some surrogates that might feel like, that motivates them even more so to to want to help. Um, so I think it's more about looking at who does the surrogate feel comfortable working with? Who does she want to connect with? How you know? Does, how does she feel about our intended parents being in the U.S.? We have inter, we have international intended parents that can be from all over the world. That that they could be at such a distance. How does that feel to her? So I think she raises a lot of concerns about who it is that she she may have her own ideas, obviously, about who she wants to connect with. Underlying, I'm hearing compatibility be a concern both for the prospective surrogate and also for the intended parent. Absolutely. I mean, that that's the root of this whole process. How do these two entities come together and connect around creating this child? And it seems as though from what you're saying that for the most part, the surrogate really does have that altruistic perspective. And I know that in certain countries, that's the only type of surrogacy that's legally allowed. We're going to talk more about the legal aspects in our third episode in the series. Just a little bit more, though, on the matching aspects, since we really underscored, we're looking at the compatibility factor and concerns along those lines, both for intended parents and surrogates. Would you tell us a little bit more about the matching process? Absolutely. So we have our team, our social workers that assess and interview our carriers, um, as well as our program coordinators that work with our intended parents, meet weekly and talk about who do we think is going to be the best fit for one another. And they're looking at several factors. Primarily, it has to be a good legal fit. We have to know that our intended parents at the end of this can be assigned parentage in the state that they're working in. So that has to be a the primary factor. We want to make sure that in the end, they are legally the child's parents. Secondary is, is what I like to refer to as, as, as a good social fit. And there's several criteria there, kind of looking at what everyone's expectations are. For example, a surrogate can be anywhere in the U.S. aside from five states and how do they feel knowing that she might not live in the neighboring state and she could be across the country? That's an example of one um, one thing that comes up very frequently. Another aspect of matching is, you know, whatever set of expectations they might have in terms of, you know, do they how they feel about her her race, her whether she's a, a stay at home mom or a, a working mom. How does she feel? How do they feel about? Um, 
what her support network is like. Is she married? Is she single? Um, so looking at all those interpersonal aspects, a big key part of matching is feelings on terminating or reducing a pregnancy because you have, they have to be on the same page and have the same point of view right from the get-go. And the last, for me, the bit and the most important piece of matching is then are they a good, what I call an emotional fit? How do they connect? Do they feel comfortable with one another? And that's established once they are presented, our intended parents are presented with a potential surrogate and they swap information. The surrogate gets the intended parents profile and the intended parents get the surrogate's profile and they read it over. And if both feel interested in knowing more, then we help them connect through what we call a match call, which are typically through Skype and prepare to talk and engage. And if both parties come back and feel comfortable, then they're considered a match. So it starts with our team doing their work and making sure that we can say that we think they're, they're a great fit. And then it comes down to the intended parent and the surrogate both feeling as if it's a good fit. We don't force anyone to work with one another. They have to both feel connected. It seems then that at baseline, we have the really decisive factor of the legal compatibility. Yes. And then once you establish that, then you're moving into preferences related to geography, cultural issues. Absolutely. Ethics, life values and beliefs. Mm -hmm. And then also really just the connection between people. Which is the most important part. Yes. Mm -hmm. And rounding it out, then there has to be a yes from both the prospective surrogate and also the intended parent that they feel comfortable enough and secure enough about the compatibility to move forward. Exactly. Thank you so much, Jen. We're going to go to a quick commercial. Acknowledging the anxiety, stress, and frustration that many experience in the route to becoming parents, Jen will talk about engaging various supports that address your particular needs. Stay with us to learn more. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. Welcome back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, joined in New York City by Jen Rackman, who is both a parent through surrogacy and an outreach coordinator at Circle, an international surrogacy agency. Jen discussed how both carriers and intended parents are screened and matched. Recognizing the wait periods and other challenges you might experience en route to becoming a parent, in this segment we'll talk about how understanding the types of support you need ties into choosing the agency that's most compatible for you. So, Jen, looking at this experience of coming into surrogacy and how it can be the most supported process possible, what are some recommendations that you have for intended parents? I think the best advice that I can give is to know yourself 
and know what you bring into this process? Because I think that they often intended parents come in so focused on the surrogate and who she is and what she does and don't spend enough time being in tune with what are they bringing into this process? What are their own, uh, what are their own stressors? What are their own coping skills? Um, what are the, the backstory in terms of what are some previous experiences that they've had? Um, just an example, when you have a heterosexual couple who's had a series of either difficulty conceiving or repeated miscarriages, you know, all of those losses and struggles and stresses along the way can be very hard to undo when you're going into a surrogacy. And to know that you're bringing with that your own anxieties and your own fears and, and also to know that surrogacy, as much as we do so much work to make this a smooth process, has its potentials to be stressful. Um, what if your surrogate that you really connect with doesn't get pregnant through IVF? Or what if she does get pregnant and she miscarries after you've had a series of losses? Um, there, As much as we don't want those things to happen, there's no guarantee that they don't. So to know that there are potential stressors along the way and be prepared for that is something that I really try to stress right from the beginning, that we want it to be a smooth process. We want you to get from point A to point B in an easy, direct fashion. But there are situations where perhaps, you know, you need another surrogate or for those who maybe even are using an egg donor, for example, in the donor perhaps doesn't produce enough eggs. They might need a second donor. Um, I don't think people coming into this anticipate as much as they need to that there are uh, side steps that you might have to take instead of, instead of going in a straight line. And that knowing your own self and how you would cope with those stressors is very important. Mm -hmm. So coming into this process, there are many people who have experienced a long road Already. Absolutely. And many wait periods. And yes. coming into this experience, looking at the various layers that are involved and the different turns that might occur, there's this element of waiting periods, right? That the experience might be extended if there are certain issues that come up. Absolutely. And I know you mentioned there might be situations where you might need to get another donor because you've used the, the donor eggs already and, mm -hmm. and that hasn't played out. To conception, what what would be a circumstance where you'd have to use a different surrogate? Perhaps the surrogate is is not responsive to the IVF medications. Like for example, so she's already had a pregnancy; she's already had a child. More than likely, was naturally conceived and has never experienced IVF before. So perhaps her uterine lining doesn't respond to the medications like you would hope, and therefore might need another surrogate or. Perhaps she, we've tried a couple of attempts and she's just not getting pregnant. Um, that can happen too. Um, on, a, on a less frequent basis, you know, perhaps her own life circumstances, you know, perhaps she had a, a sudden loss and doesn't feel emotionally capable of, of moving forward at this time. That can happen. It's not, um, we do a lot of work to avoid that and hope that it doesn't, but she, they're human. So all all things that can happen to anyone else can happen to a surrogate. Um, so those are, are some of the things that can pop up. When you think about supports for intended parents, what kinds of supports would you say are really important if you reflect on some of the most common circumstances that people might bring into the equation? I think having a good network. When people come and meet with us and they tell us that they haven't yet informed either their family or their friends about their pursuing this path. Um, for me, it's a, it's a bit of a red flag when I say to them, you know, you have to be able to feel like there's someone in your life that you can talk to about this, whomever it is, to, to, for it just to be your spouse or partner. If you have one, that's, you know, that's a lot of pressure to put on just that relationship. Um, and then also, even for our single parents that come in, because we do have single IPs that come into the program and looking at their support networks and who do they have in their life that they can talk to for our, uh, it's interesting in the, in the heterosexual IPs, they might have connected around some sort of infertility counseling in the past that might be part of their history or it might not. And there might be this level of 
secrecy and shame and because it's something that's so private that you go through if you're struggling to have have your have a child of your own that they're not used to talking about this with others so to break past that a little bit and just think about who's in your support network that you can share this with i also encourage people to look at their own you know for our uh, our gay ips what Uh, resources are there out there there are a ton of groups that are forming especially i mean we're in new york city so there's a a lot of resources that don't i understand don't exist all over the world whether it's you know lgbt centers that have actually the one in new york city has a group that meets monthly in terms of family building options which is wonderful Um, it's a group called men having babies which also provides so much so many resources Um, activating those types of support networks is really important and i think also realizing that we, as their agency, provide support. We Every IP gets uh, what we call, we have an intended parent support team, and they chat with a member right from the beginning about coping skills and, and stress as, a, as either a couple or an individual and how do they manage and who can they rely on. And we try to create those conversations to be proactive before something or a, a bump in the road or a pitfall occurs we want to have those discussions and try to prepare people as much as possible based on what you're saying then some people tend to be very private like you in the process Mm -hmm. based also on their experiences historically and it seems even for those who tend to like to keep things fairly quiet that still because of the intensity and the sensitivity of the experience and the importance of the experience that it's really helpful to find, even if it's not in your close circle of friends, someone you feel comfortable sharing with and maybe more than one person or, or groups that you feel comfortable sharing with. Absolutely. And even to, you know, I have had people that I've met with that I've suggested if they don't have a professional, whether it's a therapist or a counselor or someone that they can seek guidance and support from, even if they don't feel comfortable sharing with their inner circle, then perhaps uh, someone that's in, not in their circle that they can just have a space to talk about and, and, and again, be aware of, of what they're bringing into this process. Are there any other supports that you think are really important? I think, you know, having a good familial, friends, therapeutic uh, resources, whether it's, like I mentioned, the, the various groupings. Um, like for myself as a cancer survivor, I know there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of resources out there now for young adult cancer survivors to, to be able to talk about, you know, cancer-related infertility. There's there's infertility support groups like Resolve where uh, whatever their uh, history is, they can come together and, and have some connection. I think the idea of having a community that they can feel comfortable in and sharing some of this is really helpful. You know what I'm curious about, Chen, is... Just in terms of preparing, actually, psychologically and emotionally and lifestyle-wise to be a parent, what's the difference, let's say, if, you're, if you have a pregnancy that you carry to full term and then you have your, your child or children there with you after delivery, and then if you have a carrier bringing your child or children to the world, what that difference is like and, and also how you can be prepared to be a parent, even though there's maybe no such thing. I don't think there's any such thing. <laughs> Speaking from my first day, first hand experience, I feel like being a parent is the most like on the job training you can ever have. Where you just there's no way to be 100 percent prepared for it. No matter whether you're carrying or someone else is carrying for you, or however your child is coming into your world, there's definitely no way to be prepared for that. We do talk to our intended parents about getting ready for the transition that occurs when birth happens. So we talk about preparing for the actual birth, preparing for the transition of ending the process and saying goodbye and and thanking their carrier um, and also then discussing what will life be like for you and and planning for life as a parent you know, we talk about what is your intention are you going to be able to stay home are you going to be able to uh, ma- how are you going to manage working are you going to have child care and, and help them start to think about what their day-to-day will be like as a parent but I back to I just I don't know if there's a way to really be truly prepared for it until you're there. Right. It sounds like there's a lot of in-the-moment experiences. The road to parenting sometimes really teaches you to be very much in the moment because sometimes that's the easiest way to deal with the process. Absolutely. What about for the carrier? What are some support recommendations you have? 
Well, for our surrogates, you know, again, when they come in, part of their screening is assessing their support network um, because we we don't want to set her up to be overly stressed. We want her to be comfortable and feel like she has what she needs uh, throughout the course of the process. So we're looking at who her support person is. We interview them. We also talk about what her network is like, what her community is like. We also provide a lot of opportunities, uh, more so now, especially with social media being what it is, uh, for surrogates to be able to engage with each other um, Back before Facebook and uh, and Instagram and everything else, we were connecting uh, surrogates based on geographical location. And now it's moved to they don't have to be in the same place to connect. And we have a, a Facebook group for our surrogates where they can interact with other carriers, which is really wonderful. And so if they want to have that connection, they can. We also, um, the social worker that screens the surrogate in the beginning stays with her as an emotional support for her throughout the process. So checking in at least monthly on how she's doing. So we put supports in place not only for the IPs, but the surrogates as well. It sounds like a lot of the recommendations that you have really are around more of the emotional and psychological support throughout the process. Yes. Well, you know, the I, that's definitely one of the things that make it a healthy process for everybody to know that you have your own supports, that she has a good support system, that you are relating and connecting to each other is really the foundation. It's certainly the foundation for our agency to find that it's the healthiest process for everyone to be connecting and communicating well. I'm going to ask a similar question about surrogates that I was getting at for intended parents. Is there any support that you recommend for surrogates when it comes to actually the birthing process? You've you've delivered, you've achieved your goal successfully, and then how you feel afterwards. Because I recall a conversation I had with someone who was pregnant and she it was her second child and this was a natural pregnancy and she said to me that when she delivered her first child she actually really missed being pregnant mm. mm-hmm. we talk we our their social worker staff talk to her about well, we explore what her her history was like with her previous previous pregnancies and what was it like after she gave birth you know we assessed for was there any postpartum depression because if she had it then she was more likely to have it now and and then we talk about the differences in this experience where you're giving birth and you don't have that child coming home with you and and what's that going to feel like for you knowing that um there's this ending to this process and so we there's a lot of uh discussion ahead of time. And then when the time comes, we we maintain a a case remains open for six months post-birth for a variety of reasons, but one of which is to check in with both the intended parents and the surrogates to know how is the surrogate doing, how is she coping emotionally. If there were to be any distress in terms of her own emotional response to the whole process and the ending, we would help her find supports local to her to help her cope with whatever she might be feeling. And do you find also it brings up just the idea about becoming a surrogate again? There are Mm -hmm. many women who may be one-time surrogates. Mm -hmm. Do you find that there are also many women who do this process again? Yes, yes. Uh, Many will come back with their parents through the program and do uh, what we call a sibling journey and have a second child for them. And we also have many surrogates, I would say, that was such a positive experience. They would like to do it again for somebody else. That definitely does happen. My my own surrogate, uh, shortly after my son was born, ended up doing a, a second journey with another couple. And she, coming into this, did not think that she would do another. And after having such a positive experience, she felt like it was something that would be great to do. So I, I think that's a, a common feeling. So that relates to another topic that we're going to talk about. So we're going to go to a brief commercial. And as we've been hinting at and leading into, really, in some cases, you have a surrogate who might be a surrogate twice or even more for the same family. So we're going to talk about this really critical relationship between the surrogate and the intended parent when we return. We'll be right back. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? 
If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. Welcome back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, joined by Jen Rackman, who is both a mom through surrogacy and an outreach coordinator with Circle, a global surrogacy parenting agency. Jen discussed the importance of managing your expectations during the surrogacy process and drawing on what you know about yourself in order to identify an agency that's compatible with your needs and really the support that will help you through the process. In the last segment, we're going to discuss one of the most important aspects of the surrogacy experience, the relationship between the carrier and the intended parent. Jen, I'd love to hear your recommendations along these lines. Well, every agency has a different mantra, a different philosophy, and and ours is really that it's based in relationships. We want you to feel a connection with us as your agency. We want you to connect with your surrogate. We find that that is the center point for this whole process is how you engage with your surrogate, how you support her, how you connect with her, how you communicate with her. Those are very important discussions that we have right from the get-go to make sure that everyone is on the same page. And we even put it in our contract that there is weekly contact because we find that in order for people to feel connected and aware of what's happening and that they can have a trusting relationship, that there needs to be regular communication. So we put that in our contract just as a guideline so that people can understand that um, we don't want you to go months or weeks without knowing how your carrier is doing. And, um, you know, often IPs come in and they're very willing to do that because they want, I think, in some ways to monitor her and to know, you know, how they think that that's what the weekly contact is about. But they'll quickly learn that that's not the purpose of it. The purpose of it is to have awareness of how she's doing and to support her. And for her to know who is she doing this for, if she didn't have the ability to connect with the intended parents, who, how would she be motivated to um, to feel like she's doing a good job and that she's able to um, provide something that's wonderful, like for these you know, intended parents that could live, again, at such a distance? By her communicating with the intended parents every single week, it allows her to feel more involved, more connected to the pregnancy. It also allows for her to separate this pregnancy from, say, her previous pregnancies because she's connecting with who she's doing it for. If she doesn't, if there isn't the ability to have that engagement, I worry what that would be like for both parties because you need to feel like you are aware and connected and uh, involved and engaged in this whole process. So for us, that's a focal point that we will we will really not work with intended parents who don't feel comfortable, or surrogates for that matter, who don't feel comfortable having that level of engagement because we find that that's a health, the healthiest process for everybody. In terms of the weekly engagement, do you recommend phone compared to email compared to texting? We recommend it to be either phone or Skype. We don't like texting and emailing to replace actual human contact, even though they are a great complement. I mean, as an example, my surrogate would text me the smallest little nuances that she probably wouldn't pick up the phone to call me. You know, like your son has the hiccups today or Mm -hmm. he won't stop kicking me today or things like that that 
you know, I guess in the big scheme of things are not so important, but they were little tidbits that made me feel connected to what she was experiencing and aware of what was happening. So technology definitely complements, but we really like the main communication to be where you can either hear or see each other. It makes sense considering that most of us have experienced the misunderstanding that can come when you're focusing really on email and text and you don't have that voice. Absolutely. And somehow it's the language of voice. Even if you're in different cultures, that helps people to feel more of a sense of trust and connection. Absolutely. And even when we have people, I mean, you're talking about people that might have considerable time differences or language differences, and we still talk about coming up with a way that they're going to be able to communicate and have, we recommend there to be a scheduled time to communicate because that this way everyone has it in their schedule and everyone knows that it's happening and it allows for conversation to happen naturally as opposed to it being out of the blue where it can be a little awkward. It's just a real, you know, kind of regimented part of their routine throughout the process. We have the weekly communication and what other aspects of relationship building do you help to facilitate? So when it comes to medical appointments, for example, we talk to our intended parents and surrogates about how do we communicate? How does that information get transferred back and forth so that the intended parents can feel that they're aware of how their child is doing? And we talk to our surrogates about they sign a HIPAA release so that the, the intended parents can have direct contact with their medical providers. But we also talk about how can you feel aware of what's happening with your child to know medically that everything's going okay. Um, so there's that piece of it. So I think a lot of communication around the, the monthly or, or, or twice a month medical appointments that take place throughout the course of the pregnancy, um, in addition to having that regular weekly contact or kind of the most, uh, the most discussed times for communicating. And you'll find, I think that the process has more intense periods and more lax periods. Um, I think like the IVF process, for example, can be have a lot of um, there'll be a lot more communication because you know she's giving herself injections and intended parents might want to know how she, how she's doing with that. Um, and then we're getting ready for the transfer, and so it's a busy part of the process. Whereas the pregnancy is actually kind of the more quiet part of the process. So you hope um, that it's an easy pregnancy and, and it's really more just checking in on how everyone's doing and uh, and knowing how the medical appointments are going and, and just really supporting each other as you're getting closer to birth. So you have the factual information that also reflects your state of ease. The Absolutely. health checkups are really important. And I'm just also curious about when we take a look at compatibility, do you find that more often than not, the matches actually really tend to be good throughout the duration? Yes. Yes. I, one of my tasks at Circle, actually, I do exit interviews when people are done with their process. I follow up with the intended parents. And I would say 99% of the time when I ask them, tell me more about your match and were you comfortable with this match and how did you feel about it? They are just, they feel like they were connected with the right person is the feedback that I get that it, they that this was who they were meant to be connected with. It sounds like hiring an employee in a sense that if you put a lot of effort on the front end in the screening and matching process, it really makes a difference. That's exactly it. Yes, it, there's so much... In my in the in the social work world, we call it front loading. There's so much front loading and, and discussion that happens in the beginning phases that lays the groundwork, so that there is an ease and a connection throughout, and makes it a better experience for everyone. Building on that foundation, then, both for the surrogate and the intended parent, what's one relationship issue that comes up? I think uh, around, you know, communication is something we are constantly talking about and making sure that everyone has that regular communication. And when people don't establish that, then they'll often come to us with things that like, they want to bring to their surrogate's attention or the other surrogate on the flip side wants to address. And because they don't have that regular pattern established, because even though we can recommend it, people don't always do so. And then we hear things like, I don't know how to talk to my surrogate about this or I'm not sure how to bring this up or when to bring this up. And just a more about, you know, again, having that pattern of communication established so that those types of things don't become awkward. Um, 
I think it's probably the most common thing we hear is to make sure that everyone is communicating as they should be. So you would say that both from the surrogate perspective and the intended parent perspective, it's a similar issue? Similar things, yes. Just about communicating, making sure everyone is as transparent and clear with how they're feeling as possible. People, um, I often hear, like they don't want to offend each other. They're so respectful of each other and know how delicate this balance can be that they, and are so, and they're so appreciative the, of, you know, of, of what the surrogate's doing, for example, that they don't want to upset her or say anything that might um, might make her uncomfortable. And I think on this on the surrogate side, it's similar that they feel like if they you know say something that the intent parents won't agree with or like, it's it's a very delicate balance where because like you said about like being an employee, it's it's not an employee relationship. So there are similarities, but. It's more about you know being respectful of each other and then how to communicate things that can be a little challenging. I'm hearing the points that you're underscoring about really doing the due diligence at the very start of the process to try to make the sailing as smooth as it, as it can in terms of the relationship and also following that best recommended practice of maintaining ongoing communication that can really prevent issues from arising. In situations where there are some sensitive issues where maybe the intended parent or parents and the surrogate have a little bit different perspectives, is there a role within the agency that helps to facilitate that, the relationship? Absolutely. So so every case has a, a program coordinator that is really the guide and, and, uh, and walking you through the process. And then each party has their own support person. I mentioned earlier that the intended parents have their own support person and the, so- the surrogate has her social worker that screened her and stays with her throughout. So each party kind of has their own emotional support. And then the coordinator are the ones that tie everyone together and walk everyone through. So either party can reach out to either their support person or the coordinator and troubleshoot and brainstorm how to best um, deal with whatever they're being presented with that they're struggling with. That's helpful to hear that just within the agency itself, since all of you are very involved in the different intricacies of the prospect, uh, process from the legal aspects and other aspects, that there is someone who can really serve as a liaison in the event that there are some issues that could use a neutral person to help balance the the different perspectives that are at play. Absolutely. I, I like to think of us as, as a guide and a support. And at times, if, if need be, a middleman to, you know, to help. But we really try more so to support the relationship and encourage people to have that direct communication between each other. Jen, we have a few minutes left before wrap up. Are there any other recommendations that you would offer in terms of facilitating the best possible relationship? I think the go again going into this knowing your patterns of relationships, knowing how you connect with people. Uh, there are some people that are really you know extroverts and and happy to um, connect with new people, and then there are other people coming into this that don't connect so easily and and struggle with that. Knowing that about yourself and knowing what are some things and being able to communicate that with your agency and your coordinators, and be prepared for how you're because this relationship is a is very different and unique to any really, you can't compare it to any other relationship you have in your life. It's not, your surrogate is not a family member and she's not a friend and she's not an employee. And then, so where does that relationship fit with every other history of your own relationships? And what is your set of expectations going in for that relationship? And what is your perspective of it? Knowing all those things about you and yourself. And then also, for our surrogates, similarly, to know what they're bringing into it. Um, and I think just having that a kind of a natural, knowing that things are going to happen more organically, actually, than you would think. You just, we set the foundation of having that weekly contact. And when you're speaking to someone on a weekly basis, you know, even when it's in between medical appointments or there's not much going on and everything's going smoothly, you find yourself in a point where you are um, relating amongst other things and you connect in other ways. And that's a beautiful thing to know that you can then um, have other things to talk about and know more about her world as she would come to find about the intended parents. I would guess in a situation like this that there's enormous potential for a very deep bonding. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we have many intended parents and surrogates at the end of the process that feel a connection. You know, people will ask, like, do you stay in at the beginning phases? They don't know what that relationship will feel like post birth. So I think that we always encourage us to be open to seeing how it feels because you don't know how you're going to connect as individuals. But often we hear the desire to maintain contact and have a, a rapport. What, there's varying levels there in terms of how connected people are and how much they communicate after birth. But I would say most of our intended parents and surrogates have some relationship that, that goes beyond birth and, and the end of the, the surrogacy journey. And just like any very profound journey of your life, whether it's choosing a mate or entering a career, the self-assessment process, it seems you're underscoring, Yes, which is really when it comes to choosing an agency and when it comes to choosing a surrogate, you want to take a look at what is most important for you as you're going through that screening process realistically, what do you think is going to offer you the most supported and positive experience? Absolutely. Know yourself, know what you're coming in with, knowing when, even when picking an agency, knowing what agency fits with your own perspective. So we have just a minute left. I'm going to ask you maybe if, if you can respond in 30 seconds, because I wanted to just bring up this point that I'm aware that Circle, Circle is very supportive of gay parents. And is, yes. is there something you might want to say about that? Yes. Well, our agency was was created and founded by a gay couple um, who have uh, sons that are in their 20s now. And, you know, we're kind of pioneers in this field that was developing and have always uh, supported the gay community in pursuing this method to become parents. And, uh, you know, over time, it's uh, it's always been a grouping that we uh, devote a lot of effort and time. We do a lot of outreach and um, and have a lot of gay intended parents. Jen, thank you so much. It's just been so helpful to have your perspective as both a mom through surrogacy and also being so intimate, intimately connected with many people's journeys in surrogacy. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I feel very privileged that I get to play a part in their experience. I'd like to invite you all into another experience and another opportunity. If you'd like to further explore the option of surrogacy, Circle provides free consults, either in person or through Skype. You can find out how to schedule a consult by visiting circlesurrogacy.com. If you have unanswered questions about today's episode, I welcome you to email them to me at hosthemda at gmail.com. We'll post responses through our social media sites, which you can access by following me on Twitter at Hemda Mizrahi and liking us on Facebook at Turn the Page Radio. Until next week, remember to make the grass greener where you are. I am Hemda Mizrahi, inviting you to turn the page. Thank you for tuning in to our program. Turn the Page can be heard live every Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week's show, enjoy your weekend and make one change in your life before then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.